Good morning, listeners. And good morning, Sean. Hey, there we go, everyone. Hello, Erica. <laughs> and can I just say more specifically, not just good morning, listeners, but good morning to the one listener who emailed us, right? Yeah, for sure that deserves a special shout out. That is awesome. Awesome. It is wonderful. And I, um, I think it's a little ironic that the amount of territory that we've covered sitting here at these microphones, we've, we, we've talked about the big issues. We've talked about so much. And what is it that gets us an email, Erica? Your story. <laughs> I don't even know what the, what's the... The cunny, the cunny, cunny, cunt show. Yeah. It was the cunt show that, that finally inspired some correspondence. So thank you, Kath. That was lovely to get an email. And um, I'm glad you and your kids enjoyed the story around the dinner table. And no... They shouldn't try it. It is not a good habit to develop. How it became a national thing, I don't even understand. But anyway, it is what it is. We should change that. I see what you did there. Yeah, we, we can't change. Today we're going to talk about change. Change is a fascinating thing. We've spoken a bunch about change here, haven't we? Yes. I feel like we speak about change a lot, just we don't name it up. Mm. Well, there has been a truckload of change going on. And what's fascinating is normally when things are changing, we can manage stuff if it changes at a normal pace. But the rate of change, less so now, but I think we've just been beaten into a whole new sense of what is a normal rate of change. Because through the first half of this pandemic, listen to me, the first half, what do I even know about (laughs) what half is? But for the first phase of the pandemic, stuff was changing. Like in medical land, how fast were things being different? It was hard to keep up. Like multiple significant grandstanding changes every day, Mm. it seemed like. And I started, so I emailed my team and I said, the rate of change has increased dramatically. So don't be stressed out about change. Just assume that changes will happen every day and then you won't be stressed when the changes arrive. Because normally we manage change at a much more manageable level. And I think what's been really hard about this current situation is there's a difference between novel stuff and predictable stuff, like stuff that you've done a thousand times. And I think if, if things change and we can continue to do the stuff that we've done a thousand times through the change, it's a lot easier to manage. But we've been asking people to do novel activity and deal with novel challenges while going through iteration after iteration after iteration of change. Yeah, without their normal or without their usual go-tos for comfort. Mm. We've taken away their chocolate, we've taken away their friends, and we've said, deal with it, folks. Well, not us. No. And nobody's taken away my chocolate, for the record. <laughs> Is that your thing, chocolate? It is a thing. A thing. You have multiple <laughs> vices. Yes, that is one of them. Chocolate of choice? Dark. Like dark, dark. Do you have a particular dark? No. Okay, any dark. Mm. Thank you. I'm delighted people didn't take away yet chocolate, Erica. That, w- that would have been really cruel. Maybe hugs. The hugs are my thing. Ooh. I like hugging people. It occurred to me as a, as a touch love language person. And not to be able to hug anyone, I found that hard. And yeah, people did take away my hugs, except in my house, we lived in a bubble of hugging. So we get to hug at home, and that's been very nice. That is nice. Yeah. I feel bad for people living by themselves. Mm. Isn't it interesting how in Melbourne, they've for people who live by themselves, they've come up with the exception of one person who could be included in your bubble I so that you can that. hug them? Really? Yeah. Because they've acknowledged that people can't live without someone else in their bubble. So for people who live alone, they've said you can have somebody else in your personal bubble. Oh, wow. You can nominate one co-bubble dweller. I I forget what the correct term is. Bubble partner, bubble buddy. (laughs) Yeah, don't know. I think that goes to show just how important it is to have some kind of normal support systems in place when we are trying to deal with all this change. So, ready? 
I'm not a psychologist anymore, but I'm going to play the psychoanalyst and say, we're going to do some free association. I want you to tell me the first words that come to mind when I say change. Starting now? Sure. <laughs> um, excitement, new, change, novel. Oh, repeating myself. Boy, you're optimistic. Enough. Yeah, I like generally like change. Because when I ask people this, or, or okay, let, let's do it for me. Change would be um, scary is a big one. Mm. Um, unknown. Okay, everyone at home listening, when I say change, what comes to mind for you? Oh. <laughs> I, I wish I could hear actually what people were saying. If you didn't say anything out loud because you don't play this game, no, scrap that. Say it out loud now. Go on, change is? Isn't it interesting how we go different places with change? And change covers that full spectrum of like human emotional response, doesn't it? Mm. And I think so much about what defines the way that we take on change and our emotional response to it is the context that surrounds it. So I run workshops on managing change here in the hospital with people who are – or departments when they're going through change. And one of these wonderful little dichotomies that I offer up for people is imagine changing a room, okay? So changing a room can mean very different things for different people. For example, if you are an eight-year-old girl and mum and dad say – you're going to change rooms. You're going to get the other bedroom, and let's you know, let's make it exciting. Let's do that change. Or you're a, a 38 year old woman, and you're in prison, and you are forced to change your cell blocks because <laughs> I don't know reasons that inmates change cell blocks. <laughs> you got anything for me? I, no, but I, but I'm with you on the analogy. Uh, yeah. So in one of those contexts, you know, change is this wonderful, positive, supported place of agency, and for the other, it's this forced upon, scary, unknown, and again, I'm making assumptions because I don't know what the life of an inmate is like, but I'm assuming that it's a very different experience of change. And so it makes me wonder what are the things that, as we're throwing all of this change, what are the things that we can do to help us process and get through this change in a way that makes it positive and edifying for us rather than the scary, without any agency kind of approach to change? I think acknowledging the fear is one place to start because even though I do love change, I think of it as adventure. I think those two are almost synonymous in my mind. When mm. someone says change, I replace that with adventure. Change the light bulb. Feel free to poke holes in my <laughs> okay, sorry. approach to life. <laughs> adventure the light bulb. No, I like that. Can I use that? Adventure the light Go bulb. Go and adventure your socks. They don't match. <laughs> But maybe unmatching socks would be the adventure. That's right. Yeah, Embrace it. My boys used to choose one sock for each foot that were unmatching because they wanted this sock for the left and this sock for the right. And I thought that was so cool. I like that. Yeah, except they've all grown out of it, sadly. Mm. Maybe I should take it up. They'd love that, I'm sure. They wouldn't care, but it would make <laughs> me happy. That's it. All right, for the, re for the next week I'm wearing unmatching socks. You can call me on it. I will. I'll show you what I'm <laughs> I think I started to have a point there and now I don't remember what it was. Oh, you were talking about acknowledging the fear. Oh, thank you. Acknowledging the fear. So even though for me it is largely positive, it's still a little scary. There are still going to be things about change, no matter what I call it, that mm. are anxiety provoking. And I think often when we do approach change, it's the scariness and the negative stuff, the fear, that can become quite overwhelming and paralyzing. And then we forget to move on to actually do the functional stuff. 
there's this classic moment, you know when you learn life lessons mm. and then you reflect on it, it's like, wow, I need to take that away. We bought a block of land years and years and years ago in Brisbane to build a house. We bought it and then the process of getting the house to be built is a long process of approvals before you get to start. I don't need to tell you that. But this process took so long and during that period, the grass on this block of land, like in the middle of suburbia, grew to like two and a half metres tall. <laughs> it was completely out of control. We got a letter from the council saying the neighbours are complaining, come and deal with the jungle that shouldn't be you know, in the middle of suburbia. And I'm, <laughs> I felt so bad. So I get my whippersnipper and... What do you call a whippersnipper in America? I I know what you mean. I think we call it the same thing. Line trimmer. That's the hardcore version. Anyway, I didn't have a line trimmer. I just had a little whippersnipper and my lawnmower. And I went to the block with my dad. He goes, I'll help you, Sean. And we rock up and I look and it is, it was only like 400 square metres, but it was over my head and I looked at it (laughs) and I just, I got completely overwhelmed. I just remember standing there with my hands on my hips. That's a bad sign when my hands are on my hips because it means Sean's not coping. I looked at all of this and I thought, I don't even know how to begin dealing with this mess. As I'm standing there having this freak out and overwhelmed with fear and anxiety, my dad gets the lawnmower and he just starts in a corner and he just starts dealing with it. And then by the time I come back to the reality of what's happening in front of me, I look down and he's cleared like 10 square metres. Like, wow. He's looked at it, acknowledged that this is a big job and he's just gotten on with it. And here I am in analysis paralysis, completely <laughs> unable to move forward, and, and I'm stuck. And I thought, Sean, learn from your wise father. Mm. Don't stand there and be overwhelmed. Just start somewhere. And perhaps that's one of the best ways that we can approach big, scary change is acknowledge, like you said, it's scary, but then start somewhere. Mm. Mm. Which leads to the other point that I wanted to make about change is when there is overwhelming change, We need to approach it incrementally. We can't try and do it all at once. I'm sure I've told the story about eating an elephant. No. Oh, okay. So there was this one patient I had when I was a psychologist and he had this huge amount of change he was trying to deal with. We'll call him Les. And he said, Sean, he smoked like an absolute chimney and you could smell him from three rooms away. And he said, ah, Sean, there's so much to do. I don't know how to approach this. I said, Les... How do you eat an elephant? And he goes, what? How do you eat an elephant? I said, yeah, how do you eat an elephant? And he goes, I I don't know. I said, Les, you eat an elephant one mouthful at a time. And he cocked his head on the side and he looked at me and then the smile grew and he went, yeah, one mouthful at a time. And then we looked at what is the first mouthful. If you're trying to eat this elephant, what's the first mouthful that you need to take? What's the first incremental thing that you need to do to get through this massive amount of change ahead of you? It was fantastic and we kind of put together a series of things that I needed to do in a nice linear fashion. So you just needed to look at one step and then the next step and then the next step. Maybe a month and a half, two months later, I come to work and I open my office door and I can smell the cigarettes. I'm like, it smells like Les. And I look and there's a post-it note on my desk and it says, Sean, I ate the whole elephant, (laughs) signed Les. I thought, oh, that's fantastic. And he came back and he wanted to let me know that he did it. And the only way he could do it was just starting with the first little thing and doing incremental bite-sized pieces until we do get to eat the whole elephant. Now, you were pulling faces when I was talking about eating elephants one mouthful at a time. I was. I felt like that was a very South African analogy. Oh, come on. (laughs) Really? Yeah. uh, mm, I don't know. South African people don't eat elephants. I'm just going to put it out there. (laughs) 
It's, oh. it's not even on like fancy restaurant menus. Really? They're protected. Oh, right. I like your story. I have to look that up, see where it comes from. I don't, yeah, I don't think it's an African thing. So my parallel or my corollary to that mm. is just what are the next steps? Mm. Right? So that's it. I mean, that's not as poetic and weird, but... Omnivorous. Yeah. <laughs> what are the next steps? When my mind goes into overwhelm, that just puts me back into a place of mm. manageable comfort. Just one foot in front of the next. And that's a well-used saying. And, yeah. and I think that's probably really useful at a time like this because it, it is overwhelming when we look at all the stuff that's going down. But just, yep, that one foot, that one mouthful of raw leathery hide. Another part of the, the process of managing, we spoke about fear and you know, moving past fear and then just getting on with the next thing in front of you. As we focus on what it is that's going to get us through this, we spend a lot of time thinking about what scares us rather than who we are as we go through the change process. And I think as I reflect all the way back to the very first episode that we did here, we spoke about what is it, if we could look back at ourselves in the midst of crisis, what would we want to tell ourselves? You said this too shall pass, which was wonderful. And I think for me, the biggest reflection was that you get to still be yourself through this change process. And I guess as I look at how people manage change effectively, it's thinking about what it is that you value most, thinking about who you are and what makes you you, authentically you, and working at how do I continue to be me and be authentic to me and my values even as I go through this change. And if you can't anchor yourself in the process itself because that's always changing, you can anchor yourself within who you are and let that be the consistent thing that guides you through the change. So when I think about, for me, having to go through all these changes recently, the thing that anchors me and makes me feel okay is being connected to other people, properly, authentically connected. So for me, as I'm going through change, the thing that I look for to make it okay, rather than feeling overwhelmed by the fear, is how do I connect with other people? How do I do this with somebody else as I'm going through the change? So I get to continue to be me and value the thing I value, even as I'm going through the, the process in front of me. That looks scary. And we probably also have to pick our battles, don't we? <laughs> as I was thinking about, you know, choose which of the things you fight for and which of the things you just let go through the change process. As I was trying to think of examples of stories, so many of them were parenting stories <laughs> about picking battles. Because that is kind of half of parenting, isn't it? Knowing which battles to pick and which to leave. But I didn't think that was particularly helpful when thinking about the change process. So as I was thinking about when we built our house, have you ever built a house to live in? Uh, not from scratch. So we've renovated. And when you renovate, it's a very messy canvas and you're dealing with a lot of imperfection. But when you build from scratch, you have this perfect ideal that you're kind of <laughs> working toward. And we've never done this before. Mm. And so as we were going through, it occurred to me and the realisation hit that things were not going to go the way we wanted them to in some aspects of the build or we would get to the end and go if only we'd made that a little bit bigger or if only we put those two things a little bit closer together or you know all the things that you'd discover and thankfully we haven't discovered any of those which is I think yeah fantastic but the little trick the little uh, philosophy that we came up with was wabi-sabi I've shared wabi-sabi with you this concept that things don't have to be perfect that it's in the imperfection that the authenticity of life lives and so when things would go wrong and things would be the wrong one that we didn't choose but there was a miscommunication with the electrician or, and we'd look at each other and we'd go, wabi-sabi, baby. 
it's going to be okay. You know, in the big scheme of things, there are some things that we will fight for and some things that have to be right. But there's a lot of stuff that we can just say, ah, oh, wabi-sabi, you know. It's not perfect and that's going to be okay. And when the boys, oh my goodness, boys in a new house. Houses that are dense and things <laughs> broken and then you insert the chaos of family life and things get dense and things get broken. Sure. Boy, wabi-sabi has been a very helpful philosophy. Smack! What was that? Um, the table tennis racket has left a big dent in the wall. <sighs> Dig deep, Sean. <laughs> Wabi-sabi. <laughs> it's going to be okay. This is part of you know the fingerprint of family life on your home. So for that change process, there's been a lot of that. Letting go and thinking what are the things that we will fight for and what's the stuff that, yeah, we'll just let it be. It's finding the beauty in scars, right? This is, it's appreciating that they add to life experience and there's a story behind it and we're bigger and better because of it. Instead of focusing on the mark left there, it's appreciating, I guess, coming out on the other side. Mm. And that's not to say that sometimes the scar isn't very pretty and sometimes we, we wish that there wasn't a scar there, but there is a scar. So it's moving beyond, oh, I don't like the scar, to, boy, that tells the story, doesn't it? Right. And I get to be me here even after the scars arrived. Yeah. And the final point I wanted to make is just keep our humour. Mm. Keep using humour. Keep, keep being a person who looks for the, the lighter side of situations. Because so often when we hit serious land and the stakes are high, all of a sudden humour seems like it's peripheral or it seems silly or it seems below the importance of the process. But to say, actually, no, humour isn't something that we add on when we've got the spare time. But, but humour as a, as a way of coping, as a way of, of bringing in life and, and creativity and kind of release to the pressure cooker that we find ourselves in, it's not just an optional extra. It's something that's profoundly life-giving through that process of change. So don't forget to laugh at the silly things or even the things that aren't silly that will get you in trouble. Have a laugh, have a laugh anyway. I was going to say it works for me, but not all the time. <laughs> I have to apply my filter and not laugh even when I think things are actually quite humorous. I kind of want to leave everyone, leave us, leave you, me, with Wabi Sabi. I like that it's not a witty wrap-up, but I, I feel like that's a good place to leave it. What is it about Wabi Sabi that you like? What works for you with that? It's like me saying to the kids, let it go. I think that's where it reminds me. Let it go. Yeah. I say to the kids all the time, like, just, just let it go. And then they bust out in song and it's really irritating. <laughs> and I wish instead I had come up with Wabi Sabi. No, well, that, that's the humor and the levity, isn't it? <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. Let it go. Yeah. Oh, blimey. <laughs> well, good luck with the relentless rate of change that everyone's dealing with, right? Let it go. <laughs> Wabi-sabi. Wabi-sabi, yeah. <laughs> Good luck, folks. <laughs>